We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. In 1919, he hit 29 home runs and was sold to the New York Yankees. A three-run home run for Buckingham. The Yankees now lead it by a score of 3-2. to Bill Lee is now going over to a couple of the Yankees, and there they go again. and A-Rod going at it. Roberts is going. Masada's throw. Roberts, safe. What can I say? Just stick my heart and, and call the Yankees my daddy. Welcome back to Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports, episode 63. I'm your solo host this week, John Senecal. And it is the time of the year we should be talking about baseball and spring training. But unfortunately, the owners and the players are not in agreement as usual. Um, and a tick, tick, tick goes on and on and on. And we should be looking at Twitter accounts of the trucks packing up and heading to spring training. But again, we are not. So we will leave that for another day. And hopefully, we get some resolution here soon. Also, we are coming up on another anniversary. And the anniversary of this global pandemic we've been in. And depending how you look at it, we're coming up on about the two-year anniversary of this global pandemic. And uh, unless you've lived under a rock in these last two years, you uh, have noticed that something has changed in an industry, and that's the sports card and collectibles industry. And it has absolutely blown up due to the pandemic, I would say. And which leads me to our guest this week, Ken Azel of Ken's Cards and Collectibles in Berlin, Connecticut, locally here, but has been in business for, what is it, Ken, now? Almost 22 years? It'll be 22 years in April. 22 in April. And <laughs> typically, what is a typical business day for Ken Azel in the age of sports cards now? Well, to tell you the truth, nowadays we start every day by restocking the, the shelves because business is so brisk. We sell so many cards during the day that uh, keeping the shelves packed is our number one priority with options. I, I tell my employees all the time, uh, we don't like holes. You can't sell holes. So uh, make sure you sell the cards and you replace them as quickly as you can. And you, you, you want to stay up to date on the players that are most in demand and feature those, put those out. For instance, last week, right after uh, Championship Sunday, we started pulling all of the, the better cards for the Bengals and the, uh, uh, the Rams that we have and putting those into a section where you can go right in and find them. There they are. That's the hot stuff. That's what everyone wants. So, you know, we try and make it easy for people to find what they're looking for. And people are looking for sports cards in general. Like nothing I've really ever seen. It, it, it all started in 2020. You, you talked about it then. Um, you know, we were uh, part of the, the, the shutdown, too, and uh, it uh, was a huge question mark what things were going to be like when we reopened. We had no idea. We didn't know. We're looking back, you know, it was only a couple of months. Sorry, I'm trying to move okay, so move I can it. see Mike, you. Yeah. Um, looking back, we didn't, you know, we were open in three months, but we didn't know that at the time. 
we didn't know if it was going to be six months or a year. Right. So we were pretty much like everyone else, struggling to figure out how we were going to make it through. And now then, at this time, though, sorry for interrupting. No. At this time now, how is how is the sports card business at this time though? Well, for, at the time, I thought this is the worst thing that could have happened. Everyone thinks it exploded during COVID. It did, but it wasn't the first part of the explosion. It all started about three years ago, and you could see everything was building towards this. It had to do a lot with uh, great, great draft classes. Um, and there's so much information out there for people. It's They're not even looking at the college kids. They know the high school kids coming out that they're going to be looking to get. And you can find cards on these kids when they're in high school, too. They're, they've just started making uh, uh, different, uh, they call them unlicensed brands, but they're licensed with uh, the individual players. Um, yeah, you can you can get those. Uh, they're, they're really just starting to release the cards while they're in college. Um and for many years, uh, that little lapse between uh, the end of the season and when uh, they've signed their pro contracts and they're available, there was the uh, the releases of the the press pass and the sage and the products that featured them in their college uniform, and that kind of um, uh, satisfied the people that needed to have them right away. But as soon as the licensed stuff comes out, usually that stuff explodes and gets real crazy. But we've been seeing for three years before uh, COVID actually hit, we saw the buildup coming, and one of the things that really helped it was all of the draft classes had amazing talent coming in that everyone was familiar with. And you could just see it built up 2017, 2018, 2019. And then uh, in 2020, late 2019, before uh, nobody, uh, anyone was concerned with COVID, um, it had just about hit its peak with Zion mania. Yeah. Um, Zion brought basketball, um, if not ahead of the other sports, at least equal to them. Yeah. And I'm going back 10, 15 years when baseball used to be three quarters of our sales, football was almost a, uh, almost a quarter, and then basketball was a little tiny, and now it's right up there with yeah. all the other and ones. And that's a time when you're talking about Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, and those guys who are bona fide stars. But this, you know, And that's funny you mentioned Zion because he was – I think, you know, looking back, he is the one that really put the basketball cards out there and people had to scramble to get his cards. But now look at him now. It he was, isn't even playing. Yeah, yeah, it was building the whole time. Um, and then uh, when he finally hit, uh, the, the market exploded like nothing we've ever seen. Now, that was just one. There's a lot of factors that built into this mm-hmm. Um uh, Panini coming into their own as a card producer, producing quality cards um, and uh, uh, figuring out, uh, you know, what collectors want and then going right after that and addressing that. It was amazing how quickly they closed the and gap. For people that like would listen to this that don't know about Panini, Panini is basically the other flagship company. Right. There's Tops and Panini. It's pretty, pretty much... If a good way been to, around yeah, about a, the longest. A good way to start would be actually going back to the beginning, but I can cover it pretty quickly for you. Um, back in the 90s, um, there was a, a glut of cards produced, and it killed the hobby. After a while, people realized that if this many cards are out there, or if I go to one shop and this guy's got you know 25 rookies of the same guy, then how many did they make? And by the end of the 90s, it had pretty much decimated the hobby. The, uh, the era became known as the junk wax era. There's a very interesting uh, documentary on Netflix. Yep. Um, so that's something that uh, people can check out. Um, but when I opened my shop in 2001, we're just coming to the end of the, the junk wax era. And um, after a couple of years in business, my biggest complaint, now at the time there was FLIR, Upper Deck, Tops, and then Don Leaf Playoff. 
at that time, all of them had baseball licenses and all of them produced a ton of baseball, too much. And I there's it, no telling on how much they produced. Of course. You have no idea how much they produced of it. You but, think you have one of a certain number of cards, but you don't have one of a 200 million cards. Exactly you're right. So in 2003, I believe there was a total of uh, a little over 90 total releases in baseball cards. And, and it was the number one complaint we had. People coming in, they can't keep up. And I always said, don't try. Just pick what you like and collect that. Pick a player, a team, a sport, a product, whatever. Um, don't try and buy everything. But baseball heard this, and baseball said, okay, we got to cut this down. And within a couple of years, Donruss Leaf Playoff lost their license in 05, Upper Deck in 09. Upper Deck tried to do an end run around and produce a, a set that year that uh, immediately uh, got a Now, when you refer assist. to licensing, that's that's when you look at a card, you'll see the MLB or right. the NFL logos right. of the teams right. on the players' cards. And I think for, for collectors, like me as a personal collector, mm-hmm. I have an issue with that. Like, I don't like cards where they, I don't see a logo. It's, it's not Other as, people don't care. It's not as popular, but they, they've gotten around it, and they've gotten a lot better at it, is what I would say. They learned to hide it pretty good. Exactly. Um, now, logos... Um, include uh, anything really that identifies with the team, but partial logos don't. So they show, you know, a sideways view. A very popular is like a picture they use uh, for non-licensed cards is to have someone swing and you see the number and his name on his back or something. So right. you've at least got some tie-in to it. it because in the beginning when they were just uh, airbrushing stuffed out, it looked like shit. Right. It was absolutely laughable. But that also limits you, too. Now, if you're a collector and you're collecting cards for the look, not just the price, right. you're not going to be getting as nice a card either. Right. Well, Upper Deck tried. Uh, they were the first ones uh, that I remember just airbrushing everything out when their contract ran out. And I remember immediately um, uh, Major League Baseball went after them and they were forced to... Uh, um, I believe they were told they had to pull the product, couldn't ship anymore, but they couldn't do any more otherwise the suit went forward, so they didn't try anything after that. Um, and Tops had a monopoly for a couple of years. I was never a fan of that. Tops went from being one of four producers of the cards to being the only one. And I, I, I've always been of the opinion that monopolies are not good for the consumer. The consumer uh, should have choices. It's it's choice that drives our, our, uh, our market. And... Um, Panini tried to get in, and, and Topps uh, wasn't having it. So Panini said, okay, we'll, we'll go and get football and basketball, and they did. And then they said, okay, and we'll make really, really good cards. And they just – Panini has done a spectacular job. They've gotten better and better. And their license is with the Major League Players Association, so they're allowed to use the players' images. But baseball says, well, we own that Red Sox logo, so you can't – so, okay, well, you turn to the side, and you just see a third of it. Right. Well, you don't own this right there, you, you know. So they've gotten away with that. But on top of that, the, uh, the different types of cards they've come out with have been so innovative. They've just really, really taken the lead, I think, in the market. And basketball and football has exploded in the last five or six years. Baseball's still king, but the other ones are right there. Yeah, you look at a lot of the, the football and basketball cards you see that Panini is producing. And, and, and I guess the one way to put it is flashy. A lot of the cards are very flashy, great to the eye. Um, and they make you want to collect them where, you know, you look at some of the tops cards. I mean, they do have the higher end ones mm-hmm. where you get like the Bowman's best and the, you know, the, the, the real hard products you don't find in Walmart or that, right. that place. But it does seem like Panini, no matter where you go and you pull a box or open something like that, you're going to get a nice looking card. I have always felt that, um, 
What what you're saying right there is is exactly what I agree with. I think that's uh, the way it is. Tops to me, um, their biggest fan base is the longtime collector, and Panini I think goes for a little bit more of the youth market by doing the flash, the the, the prisms that they put out, and the different varieties of the prisms, whether it's uh, tiger stripes or uh, the, the, the different uh, shock wave prisms and the pulsar prisms. It makes it exciting to open a pack to see if you're going to get There's so many variations and so many short prints. Uh, you never know until you get to the last card in the pack whether you're going to pull something incredible. And we have had some stuff pulled in the last couple of years that you would just not believe. Well, and that, that kind of leads me to my next thing. Now, there's, there's a couple different topics, um, the future of the card industry. Now, you say, um, you know, pulls that you wouldn't believe. Now, we, we, we look at digital media all the time and people have... Uh, YouTube channels where they open cards and all that, and they pull these amazing cards. Yep. Um, what amazes me is, you know, there's common names of cards now. You know, like in football, you got Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. In, in baseball, you got Wander Franco and uh, uh, who else? The, the big, the big names. Well, locally, Red Sox, Yankees are always going to be our biggest sellers, you know, by far. Um, but uh, finally, Mets fans have Pete Alonso, and uh, as a Mets fan, I'm very happy to see uh, Matt, Max Scherzer signed, although uh, – I want to see how well he plays. I would love to have seen him signed about eight years ago. Um, now these are all these are all marquee names: the right, Aaron Judges, right. the Bogarts, the Devers. But wh- what I'm interested in is, you know, you say big pulls. So I'll look online and I'll see a guy who's got Jason Dominguez, just card Yankees, mm-hmm. just sold for four hundred seventy-four thousand dollars, a one of one card that they that you know there's only mm-hmm. one of these cards. Mm-hmm. Right now, this guy I seen him play in Tampa. He's played fifty-two professional games, and his card just sold for four hundred seventy-four thousand dollars. Now, now I'm not no math wizard, but I'm, you could buy a lot of Mike Trout rookies for four thousand seven four hundred seventy-four thousand, and Mike Trout is a very established player. I I couldn't agree anymore. Um, the guys, now, to me, I feel like the industry. If you look at that, you're you're crazy. No matter how much money you have, how do you get your investment back in that? Well, here's the thing. Um, if we're speaking to a collective audience out there right now, probably what do you think? Maybe two percent of them could afford to spend four hundred and seventy-four thousand. So I think that's just the interesting oddball story that has really no impact on the average collector. If some guy wants to spend four hundred and seventy-four thousand on a Dominguez rookie or a Ferrari, and he can make money on it, that's great. Good for him. But it's not something that most of us are ever going to have to concern ourselves with. Um, it's pretty. It's just like uh, you know, we talked. We just mentioned the uh, the NFT uh, the prices over the last couple of years. How those have gone crazy, and every time we don't even bat an eyeball when we hear that something went for five million dollars. Right. So, is this guy going to make money at four hundred seventy four thousand? Yeah. If Dominguez turns out to be um, a superstar. Like right. a Mount Trout, maybe then he'll make money, but that's that's it's more of a status. It's going to take a long time to find out whether that happens. Look, Albert Pujols um, debuted in two thousand one, same year as Ken's cards, and uh, so I've always uh, kept a close eye on him because he developed so quickly into the best player in baseball. And twenty years later, his rookie cards, a lot of them go for about the same as they did back then because rookies are what people want to collect. Right. So the price is artificially driven up higher because the demand is so great. But then it doesn't matter what happens. You, you can have an Albert Pujols-type career where the guy is just going to have a red carpet laid out to the Hall of Fame. The guy you know, got through 
the steroid era and everything else. And just I don't think any writer is going to say he's not a top 10 player of all time. But that's just the way it is nowadays. People want the rookie cards, but it doesn't mean if you have a Hall of Fame career, that rookie card is going to make you tons of money. You're going to make something on it. It's most likely going to go up in demand. But another great example was um, in Tim Duncan, um, who now, in my opinion, is a top five ball player of all time. And when his stuff came out, um, it was the hottest stuff in the hobby. And now, 20 years later, uh, you know, he's retired. 17, 18 uh, like all-star games. His rookie cards go for less now than they did in 98. I actually have that card. In He's holding his jersey. It's like the hoops card or something. That's, that's his tops uh, rookie right there. But uh, yeah, the stuff, uh, it, it hasn't gone up. Um, and that's because the market has decided there are enough of them out there that uh, no matter how great he is, this is where it's going to go. Now, that, the, the hobby figured out about five to ten years ago that uh, great in the stuff, uh, we can add a whole new level to our investment by calling it perfect. And that's why there's this huge push for Graydon, which there's a place for Graydon. I'm just not a huge fan of it. I totally understand why it's here. I agree that it needs to stay here, but I think that it's created a lot of uh, false hope and a, a lot of uh, of negative things in the hobby too. Yeah. Now, when you you refer to grading, there's <coughs> there's three major grading companies now. There's PSA, there's Beckett, mm-hmm. and there's SCG. Right. That's pretty much the main three. Depending well, on how you um, look at it. When people ask us about it, we tell them uh, BS, uh, PSA and uh, BGS are the two to use. SGC is a distant third. And then all the rest of them are distant fourth. Now, I'm not saying not to use them. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that they are a distant fourth. Um, most of them. Well, it's uh, also your name in the industry. Many of them has, have sprung up in the last two years. When during COVID, <clears throat> when they stopped taking uh, cards uh, to, to grade, of course other companies are going to pop up. They see an opportunity. So at least three or four grading companies, I don't know about you, but on my Facebook feed, I get these companies popping up all, all the, the time. time. All the time. Right. So time will tell if it's worth doing this company and spending $20 or waiting a year for PSA to get it back to you um, because their grade is worth more. Right. Now, and you say wait a year to get back, and that's what it's come to because – the PSA, which is so the flagship in it, and I don't, I don't think it's at a year anymore. No, no, but it's, it's a while. I don't want to say anything and that I'm not sure. And about. there's all sorts of different tiers you can buy into, and they open things exactly. up and they close things up. Yep. Now, the, and, and when it boils down to is, two to three years ago, if you wanted to get a card graded at PSA, you could probably spend six to ten dollars and get it done, and it would probably come back in two to three months tops, mm-hmm. if that. No pun intended, tops. But now, if you want to do that, it's going to cost you at least $100 to send a card out, if you're going to get it back in a year, if you can get into some certain thing. But my point is, is if you want your card to be valuable, is that something you need to do, A, and B, you have to have the valuable card to do that now. You're not going to send a card that you think is worth fifty dollars right. to get graded for a hundred dollars and hope it's going to be three hundred dollars two years from now. I'll I'll go the other way for a second. I constantly see people coming in with cards with five dollar cards that they get graded. I'm like, why would you spend any money to get this graded? <clears throat> I'm guessing they were like bulk submissions that uh, people were just throwing. Anything well, I mean, in. yeah, because you can go out right now online and you can find cards from 2020, mm-hmm. right? Um, tops. Sure. Football, basketball, you name it, 
and get a card that's ten, twelve dollars, and it's a PSA ten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know that they probably spent more than ten or twelve dollars. Absolutely, but that's just it. I mean, see, there's money to be made in the hobby. I don't want to be, be uh, uh, sounding like uh, I'm against that, but it is a hobby, and just like any hobby, there are going to be people that are only in it for the money, right. doing it full time. Oh, absolutely. And if you have the money to invest in the right cards and you learn the hobby and you know, you know, which ones will go up, um, Graydon's a, a very good idea um, because it's actually foolish to sell some of your better rookie cards raw when, uh, you know, you can draw an eight or a nine and triple the price or quadruple the price. So there's a place for it, but um, you just got to be careful. I mean, every every customer I've ever talked to about Graydon has said, oh, I expected to get a 10 on this card, and I got a 9, right. sometimes an 8. <laughs> so everyone thinks they're going to get a 10. Nobody sends in cards that they think aren't going to grade well, um, but uh, then they get that uh, uh, that card under their microscope, and all of a sudden those flaws start jumping out when you're looking at it magnified right. 32 times. Yeah, it's interesting all the criteria that goes into it. The one good thing mm-hmm. that grading, I guess, does for you uh, in a card is it kind of gives you an idea of, what is out there? Like we talked about that earlier. You know, there could be two million copies of a Wander Franco right. to, to, uh, first Bowman out there, but you might only have one of three thousand that are graded PSA ten. Like I said, I, I don't want to come off as sounding anti-grading um, because that is one of the great things about it is that you can go and check a population report and say, oh wow, I'm, I'm, this guy wants to sell a, a, a ten uh, autograph here of Bobby Dahlbeck. Um, you know, let's go see and, oh, what, there's only three of them out there. That's a pretty good yep. card to get. Okay, and that can influence your decision, and that's a nice resource to have. And that's, you know, part of the uh, the Internet age of card collecting. When I uh, – another good time uh, that Graydon helped was when I um, first uh, got online. I believe it was uh, 1997, um, and I was not a store owner. I was a hobbyist at the time. And uh, I joined several internet trade groups, and I was trading with people all over the world. And at the time, we had a, kind of a, a, a basic uh, feedback system where you would just have all the people you dealt with, and they were references. You'd forward them to other people, and they would become your references to say, yeah, you can trade with this guy. You can send that card to England. He'll send you this one back. And graded cards were great because you weren't relying on people's descriptions of their card. No surprises. If you dealt with a graded card, you got a, you got this Michael Jordan 7 rookie. You didn't say – you didn't get a rookie that the guys thought would get a 7. Right. So in the early days of the internet, that was great. Um, that was really nice. And at the time then, um, I was a member – you had to be a member of PSA at the time. It was – what was it? It was $100 a year. You got four certificates to get four cards graded uh, for free, yep. and then I think it was ten bucks a card after that. Right, no far cry from what it is now. That's for sure. And and you know what, the demand. <laughs> if if my business had a one year backup waiting list, I'd raise prices too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you, you got to get and you got to do it right. I mean, you're not just going to be plucking people off the street and in 20 minutes te- teaching exactly, them how to grade a card. Exactly, exactly. That's why autograph authentication is so important uh, because. Uh, so many people want that piece of paper from one of the major houses and they just weren't around years ago. I mean, back in the, if you bought uh, autograph stuff in the eighties and the seventies, you went to card shows. A lot of times they'd have a Mickey Mantle there. Which was 99% fake probably. Well, no, no, no. I'm talking about, no, Mickey Mantle appeared oh, at yeah, many, yeah. many card shows. Absolutely. And you were able to get your I stuff went to a signed. card show where Mickey Mantle appeared. In a couple of them in Hartford. Um, 
the thought of that nowadays is insane to think of a star uh, as big as that appearing right. at a local card show, but that's the way they did. And at the time, the promoters printed up their COAs and gave them to the people that bought them, and, and that was that. Um, that was the promoter standing by their autograph. Of course, the person was dealing with Mickey Mantle in front of them, so they knew it was real. Um, but those are uh, people are skeptical about those, and rightly so. Right. They should be skeptical about them. Um, by the same token, just because uh, uh, they don't have an, a, a COA doesn't mean that it's not good. And now you have the option of submitting it to a JSA or a, a PSA or, or another uh, authentication company to get it authenticated. And to, to sell merchandise nowadays that's autographed, that's what people want. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that a lot. I, I've actually been buying more of the autographed uh can I, do a, can I do a card. PSA for collectors right now? Sure. All right. If you have a COA to one of your pieces, tape it to the back of the picture. Otherwise, 50-50, you're going to lose it. Go yeah. Ahead. Mostly. Don't put, it, <laughs> don't put it in the junk drawer because it's never coming I out of that. I can't tell you how many people I've dealt with in the last 21 years who had great items and said, I just spent the last two months looking for the COA. I can't find it. Yeah. I see. In the future, tape it to the back. Yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, you talked about, you know, how the industry is changing as far as, you know, the grading of the cards and the numbers of the cards. You know, I've always kind of been skeptical about, you know, how much cards are produced because I'm, I'm a child of the 80s and the 90s and I got burned by that. But recently the card industry really got shook up because Tops was going to go public and they wound up getting backdoored and, and uh, Fanatics took them over. Good and bad, depending on how you look at it. They could be a monopoly. But from what I've read, Fanatics wants to kind of streamline the whole process and and talk about what we had we had talked about, you know, making sure you know how many cards are out there and mm -hmm. if it's authenticated, where the cards are. You know, the, basically, you know, the consumer, once that card is printed and the consumer gets that card, they know basically where everywhere that card's been, how many are out there, and that stuff. And they want to cut out the whole, you know, seven or eight layers of crap before a person gets a card. For you, who owns a card shop, can you kind of explain a little bit about how the process works, how you get cards from distributors and stuff? Can you do that? Well, um, we deal uh, directly with uh, the major ones, and then we have several wholesalers uh, that uh, we get our cards from. Um, as far as Fanatics... Now, when you say directly, like you actually could get cards directly from top Panini, certain yeah, products. Yeah, got a delivery from Panini two days ago. And then when you say wholesalers, these would be the same people that would like... Secondary market. They're the th big companies that, that drop for Walmarts up. and those people yep. too? Uh, no, those... I mean, those kind will deal directly with uh, the manufacturers. See, now we're already at three levels right yeah, now, there are right? national wholesalers that uh, buy every kind of product and have them... Uh, but unfortunately, then you're dealing for someone value. as it you're an, you're more of an expert than I'll ever be in this business. Mm -hmm. If you were to tell me if I was to go to buy something, say what I bought it on eBay, a box mm -hmm. of a box of cards on eBay, 2020, 2021. How many layers you think that went through before I would get that? How many could it go it's, through? Uh, it's tough to say. It's uh, you don't want to uh, you don't want to just. Uh, um, put them all in the same category of, uh, there are honest guys and, and more dishonest guys. <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, is do you really want your box handled through that many layers? And, um, you know, you're, here we are talking about how great it is to pull highly graded cards. Uh, do you want a box that's been shipped to four different guys, handled, bounced around? Yeah, or it's come out of a case where you know the big hits already come out of. Which is another thing that uh, um, when you buy online is 
it's a factor. You know, it sounds like uh, I, I, I kind of avoid talking about this because as a brick-and-mortar guy who has a shop who lives and dies with his regulars coming in, and I want to see them hit the great uh, hits. I want to take pictures. I put them on Facebook. I, uh, You know, that's the, the most important thing to me is for people to hit great cards because we run with it and we use that to promote the shop. Um, but I don't want to... Uh, start sounding like I'm bad-mouthing these guys online because they're a different kind of business than mine doing the same thing. So I'm not saying they're all like that. Right. But of course, just like anything you buy and deal with online that you don't look the guy in the eye and you don't know if he's going to be there next week, there's a there's an element of risk. I mean, I've seen it firsthand. I stood in a Walmart in mm-hmm. Farmington, Connecticut mm-hmm. and watched a guy put 30 boxes of optic basketball in his cart. Mm-hmm. And buy them. Now I know for a fact that dude is not going home and opening those thirty boxes. Of course not. Right? It can't prove it. Right. Right. But it happens. Right. And that's right. that's what you're that's what you're talking about. I I get two or three calls a week from those guys um, trying to unload products. Yeah, we call them in the hobby. They're called flippers. Um, you know, they buy a product, they try and flip it for more. And that's if that's what they want to do, that's fine. Uh, I've found that it's not a good source of product. Uh, good, reliable, sustainable source of products. So I normally don't buy from them. Yeah, I'm not. I don't have any problem with them. That's the, you want to drive around and do that. That's great. That's your yeah. hobby. But, but that's what it's come to. I mean, I, I oh, know. Absolutely. I know. I, I have relatives that work in retail in Walmart, mm-hmm. and they tell me stories about people following distributors to their house, people yeah. assaulting people yeah. during this pandemic. People going crazy over the stuff. Could you imagine how many stories I've heard about I'm the sure. retail craziness? Give me a good one. Um, well, the good one was uh, one of the final ones. Um, and when I say good, I actually mean uh, horrific. Good. Yeah, it's exactly. a terrible, terrible story. Um, but I've heard many stories about people getting in fights. But um, about a year ago, uh, something like that, um, a guy told me that uh, there was a bunch of people waiting for product to be put out, and they were all grabbing it, and, and a kid got a box and that a grown man grabbed the kid and put him in a headlock to pull the box out of his hands. And I just looked at the guy, and I just said, you saw this at a Target? And I said, yep. And I said, okay, well, let me tell you something. That's going to be the end right there because when something like that comes out, Target's going to say, we don't need the money from these sports cards. Right. We don't need to, we're going to have a, a chance of a, an adult injuring a child. And they did that. Target stopped selling. Them. And within two weeks, within two weeks, Target announced they were pulling them off the shelves uh, and good for them. Um, you know, if, if, if people are going to be tracking suppliers and, 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 and attacking each other, it just doesn't, uh, doesn't paint a very pretty picture for the hobby. But now, fortunately for people that are collecting, the, the demand is still there, but the product has come out be- a little bit better. We can find it in the retail. We can find it better at your kind of shop. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I feel like almost in a way that they kind of just flooded the market. Like they, they knew what was out there, so they kind of just started pumping stuff out there. Do you, do you have that kind of I, feeling? I, look, as a guy who spends all day every day trying to keep his uh, shelves as fully stocked as possible, it doesn't feel like they've flooded it. If they have, maybe they've made it available, but it's available at market value, and you know you got to pay crazy money to get it. Uh, everyone's heard about the the websites where they go online and they see the box for $29 the day it's released and they go in, they buy, oh, they're all out. Gone. But there they are already on eBay for $59. So the 29 stays up on the website even though they're out of them. So right. people look it up and say, oh, they've got them at 20 They don't. They don't. They don't. So the future of the industry, Fanatics buys tops. Um, 
I mean, without we don't know where it's going to go. It sounds like Michael Rubin wants to take it and make it make it the best it can be. Um, is it a good or bad thing that that now basically within the next four years that one company is going to own all the licensing, all the deals except for the NHL, and that could be TBD. What happens there because Upper Deck owns them. Right. Um, you know, I mean, there's some soccer scattered around in different leagues, but the main vein players is going to be owned by Fanatics within the next four years. I'm. Uh I have decided to be as optimistic as I possibly can. Um, as soon as it happened, the, the very first day I heard about it, I remember thinking to myself, well, they've got to buy Topps brand and their logos. They have to buy everything that Topps is, you know, has connected to baseball because those are proven brands. Right. And you don't want to just come in and start with cards from scratch Kind of like, well, Panini wasn't starting from scratch. They were the biggest dealer in Europe before right. they came over here. Um, but they were new to baseball. They were new to football. They were new to They basketball. weren't tops. They weren't right. the So Fanatics is similar in that they're a proven company, massive. Um, and no one has ever questioned the quality of what they've done. So I guess we've all been waiting uh, for them to say we've acquired Topps' logos and, you know, 94, 93, Topps comes up with their concept for refractors, and it changed the hobby. It was a, a hobby-changing uh, release. Nice, shiny cards. Yeah. they're Oh, yeah, a refractor is a, is a short-printed parallel version on a shinier base, and since then, those have taken off, too. But Not your typical cardboard card. Right. And in, in Panini, they did prisms, and they took it another step. Well, Topps has several forms of uh, refractors now. Panini jumped right in and started having silver refractors and, and, and yeah, all the different silver mosaics. Just one different refractor type card after another. And it didn't make sense for Fanatics to not go after that. So when they got it, um, instead of getting just the logos, they bought the whole company. I mean, they, they, don't, they don't think small like I do. They just go and buy tops. Right. Um, so once they got that, like, all right, these guys are serious. Yeah. Um, you know, $500 million. So in, I, I'm going to have a very optimistic view and say that I think they're going to do a great job, and I can't wait to see what they do. Yeah, I have to, I have to agree with you. I think, I think they are going to do a good job. I think, you know, he, he has the right mindset, uh, Michael Rubin, the owner. And right. uh, I, I, like you said, it's not in his best interest to not do it right. I mean, Topps is the brand. that That's, that's what they want. It's yeah. like buying Nike or buying the Coke symbol or whatever. It's, it, 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 and that doesn't mean this isn't going to be absolutely bizarre because when people think about hobbies and collectants, really baseball cards, that's the hobby that uh, has been around for 60 years. And, and stuff jumped off of Americana, that. Americana, and it was Topps. Those first years, Tops was the manufacturer. There was a couple FLIR sets here and there. Yeah. Not, not the, the modern-day FLIR, but the, right. an old FLIR, and there were some other ones. But Tops was it. And it's rarer and rarer nowadays, but we still get old-timers who only come in you know, once a year either to get their Tops factory set or the when Tops Series 1, Series 2, and Tops Update, which are basically, it's basically Tops Series 3. Yep. Those come out every four months during the year. Yep. And we still have some guys, that's all they collect. The, is same, the, base the one flagship product. product. Yeah, not a big percentage of customers, but well, these guys, Tops is gone. Yeah. You know, you can't do that anymore. So it's really nice to see that at least they're going to keep the logos and they're going to keep uh, the different uh, um, product names uh, and 
uh, the things that uh, you look at and you associate with tops. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a good thing. Now, I am y- excited. You you are a personal collector. You collect yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And you've been collecting basically your whole pretty much adult life as you're a teenager and everything. You stopped I, a little bit, but yeah, yeah, I mirrored a lot of my customers, and that was I started when I was young and I had my favorites and I remember them to this day. Specific cards that I had. And I drifted away a little bit as I got older in my teenage years, and you have interests outside of uh, cards. Um, but then in, in my late 20s, uh, early 30s, I came back, and it all started with UConn basketball. Um, in uh, 1990, I was 26 years old, and uh, I was out on Martha's Vineyard with my then fiance. And I said, I want to get a, uh, a Cliff Robinson rookie card. We passed a card shop. Yep. And I went in, and that was the first time I'd been in a card shop in 10 years at least. And I found my Cliff Robinson rookie. I brought it home. I still have it. And that got me back into the hobby right then and there. I started That was the switch. I started collecting UConn basketball players. Um, and this was before Ray Allen even suited up. Right. Um, so uh, uh, they were out there, and so I started collecting them. Cliff Robinson brings you back into the hobby. Now, yep. y- do you have a favorite card of yours that you've kept over the years or most valuable to you or, like, your flagship card? You're not going to believe it. What is it? My favorite card that I have. And, and I collect it in a, a different way than some people. I, you know, I, My favorite card I have right now is a piece of uh, jacket uh, that John Belushi wore um, uh, as a Blues Brothers. Really? Yeah. And it's an actual card. It's like it's a, a card bit. with a swatch, just like a game used. Relic. Yeah. It's a game. And uh, that's the only one I have on my desk right now, aside from a Pat Tillman rookie card. Interesting. Yeah. And in your personal collection, you think, how many cards do you think you have? Oh, it's it's quantity, not quality. Yeah. Um, for me. Um, I mean, my Yukon collection, I have a pretty good, I have a binder for each player. And uh, a few years ago, they did a uh, an exhibit, and uh, uh, I, I contributed to that, and that was uh, really wonderful to go up there and see uh, uh, the, the exhibit with all the former UConn players. Any, they wanted any UConn player that had uh, a card made. And so when it came to basketball, I, I had lots and lots of those. Um, so they came, they took them, scanned them. They made these big five-foot by three-foot displays, like five of them, and it's in the, the sports museum up there. Um, so that's, it was cool to see some of the, those cards end up over there. So before we wrap up here, um, wrap, wrap up, I cleared my whole day. <laughs> we got, we got, we only, Are we, we doing only this get, again tomorrow. No, or, no, no, no. We only got a certain <laughs> amount of time. We can, we can keep people interested in our, uh, our ramblings of sports cards. But listen, before we go, if you, as the expert in the field, um, Tips for people looking forward. Who, what should they be investing in? Now, I say sports cards. I'm not just saying baseball, basketball, and football. There's a lot of sports cards out there. What should people be looking at to invest in? All right. So this actually is a, a good way to wrap this up. Um, for 20 years, uh, people have been walking around my store and asking me that same question, what's a good investment? And for 20 years, I told them their 401k. This is a hobby. Buy what you love. Buy what you enjoy. And if you can make any money at it, that's great. But if you don't buy the stuff that you care about, then you, you, chances are you're not going to be in it for the long term. Now, that was recently turned upside down on its head a couple years ago when uh, right after we opened after COVID, the first customer came in and told me that financial advisors online have been telling people to buy sports cards. My first thought is another COVID day drinker just walked into my shop. The guy's got to be drunk and it's noon. 
But then in the next two weeks, two more customers said that to me. I went out searching, and there were guys advising people to do that. So, yep, there's money to be made if you know what you're doing. Uh, it's like the stock market, though. There's always guys who are going to know a little bit more, so you better be prepared to spend some time and money and educate yourself. Um, but I'll never change from my original. Collect and it's the same advice I gave the people that said, there's 93 releases. I don't want to collect baseball anymore. Collect what you love. Pick a player, a team, a sport, or a product, and just collect the ones that mean something to you. Yeah, it's good advice. It's good advice. So listen, we end we end the show usually on a nugget. And uh, we were talking about uh, valuable cards, and we talked about tops, and... Uh, and uh, we had talked about tops, right? So tops started in 1952, their main set, the main set. And that set had the Mickey Mantle card in it. And that is the Holy Grail, the Holy Grail of cards. You know, there's the Honus Wagner card, but that's mm -hmm. the old tobacco cards. Um, but the main. I just saw a half of a Honus Wagner sold. card sell for half a million dollars. Insane. It was right? ripped in half. Ripped in half. That's it's, the tobacco I mean, card. So that is the most popular, most uh, expensive card ever sold. I think 6.6 .6 million is the mm -hmm. Honus Wagner card. I but can't keep track of those the nowadays. The Mickey Mantle card is the flagship card, right? 1952 tops, and that sold last year for 5.2 million. Mm -hmm. Now, that set was designed um, by Cy Berger at his kitchen table for tops, right? So the interesting fact about that is after all those cards were produced, they had a surplus of those cards. So mm -hmm. they rode those cards off into the ocean off of New Jersey on a barge and dumped all the extra packs of cards into the ocean. First of some of many things dumped in the ocean over the years, wow. but think about that. So now if you want to buy a pack of 1952 tops, it costs about $15,000 to get a pack of that. If you could find one. If you could find one. Well, we know they're laying in the bottom of the ocean yeah. or they've uh, <laughs> dissolved or Nemo's grabbed them and taken off. So listen, Ken, wow. thank you so much for coming My on pleasure. the show. It was awesome having you and, uh, Again, sports cards is not, uh, you're not sticking them in your wheels of your bike anymore. No, it's, a, it's big business. It's, a, it's a fun to, business. If though. you want to, kids, feel free to. Yeah, it's Just fun. Just make sure it's the lower end ones. Not, don't pull them off your dad's shelf. No, definitely don't. And you can't put a graded card in your spokes or you're going to uh, knock yeah, you're gonna fall over. Yeah, that's a safety issue, I think. <laughs> so don't forget to follow <laughs> us on social media, uh, Facebook, at Fanbase Podcast, uh, and YouTube, same uh, handle. And uh, don't forget to leave a like and subscribe on YouTube and Twitter podcast fan base and until the next time i'm john senecal he's ben azel and this has been your <laughs> latest episode of fan base a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports and we'll see you at the next one And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.